0: Hello and welcome back to another episode, if you want to do what, with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Jay on, who is in the world of software engineering and law. Hi Jay.
1: Hi, how's it going, Dan?
0: All good, all good. Thank you for coming on today.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. Really happy to be here.
0: Great stuff. Should we jump straight in then? Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do, Jay?
1: Yeah, so um, I am a legal engineer and I'm currently employed at Stevenson Law, which is Um, They just won boutique law firm of the year, uh, which maybe lends to its size, but also to its ambition that, you know, we're a small but fast growing law firm that is primarily made up of tech lawyers and we have lots of startup and tech clients. And one thing that we're really passionate about is how we deliver our legal services and making sure that we do things in a more innovative way because our clients are quite innovative. So we are very, um, very agile and forward-thinking compared to what maybe most people think about law firms. But that's not to say that some of our, you know, competitors and other people that we respect in the industry aren't doing great things too. But we, we really do think about that whole experience from the our clients' journey. So, um, to give you an example of some of the things that we, we we look at and do is giving people sort of custom platforms that they can interact with. Um, the legal advice that we give them, whether that's a bit of self serving with document automation um, whether that's being able to have a dashboard so they can see the progress of their file, um, we take a very sort of uh, there's an there 's an engineered approach and that typically involves um, either a bit of coding or putting something together using technology um, from other industries so we take traditional software engineering methods and apply them to law and and really just trying to digitize that whole experience so you know everybody focusing on remote working and working from home this digital transformation has been part of who we are from the very beginning um, as the firm was set up we've always been distributed and um, without having sort of a fixed central location and it's put us in a really good position so for me it's uh, it's it's my absolute dream role because I've always really been more interested in the delivery of legal services as opposed to just The law for itself, or the you know the actual legal arguments or legal challenges. So yeah.
0: So how did you get into this? Were you first in the world of law, or first in the world of software engineering, or have you always been a bit of both?
1: Um, No, so very, very much. uh, You know, I I am a qualified lawyer, and I worked at law firms, practicing law for fifteen years. So from from when I graduated, all the way back in two thousand and eight. Um, I actually have an economics degree, and I sort of fell into law. It it wasn't something that I ever aspired to or wanted to be, um, but graduating when I did during the um, economic crisis at that time, there was sort of very little going on in terms of job roles for finance-related roles or being. A, I wanted to be a stockbroker, really, and a lot of my application and grad schemes had started to close because those types of firms, the brokerages, were either having hiring freezes or they were pitting uh, or making redundancies you know for those of us that remember it or lived through it it was mm. it's pretty pretty hard time like we've had similar economic shocks in recent memory but that one at the time felt particularly painful mm. Re- highly recommend everybody watches the big short if they've never seen it
0: it is um, a brilliant i had watched that the other day for the first time it is fantastic and it's yeah. so well explained
1: it really is yeah and you know i think you know at, at the time um you know it it was very daunting and i think i can resonate with a lot of younger uh, students or graduates now who are you know looking at the world being so very different to what it was you know a year ago or two years ago and having to navigate that challenge and i guess you know best bit of advice i can give to people there is just you know stay patient keep working on yourself because the opportunities are just around the corner really things will start to maybe not go back to normal but as people adjust and understand what their requirements of their staff are or what opportunities lie for people that are entrepreneurial, there's, there's lots and lots to hope for. And if you're, you know, if you're bright and ambitious, there's, there's always a place for you in, in sort of industry. Mm. So yeah, going back to getting into law, I started off as a paralegal at uh, uh, an international firm and it was sort of baptism of fire really, because I literally did not know anything about law or practicing. <laughs> I knew had I knew numbers Mm. But if I look back at where I am now and look at that moment, there was something even then that maybe kind of alluded to where my career might develop into. I was quite numerate and decent with Excel, even as a graduate. Mm. So because, you know, my mother's an accountant and we used to spend a lot of time doing pivot tables and VLOOKUPs and writing some formula for some pretty big spreadsheets together. And, you know, I would help her out a little bit. She'd show me some real world Um, things probably breaching all sorts of confidentiality (laughs) retired now but it's fine and I think then I I could sort of see the power of you know using technology or you know being able to think logically around a problem and draw up solutions and yeah then I you know sort of had this if you if you've ever you know if you meet people who are lawyers there's quite a traditional well-trodden path what happens is Mm. You know you start as a paralegal or, or a trainee, and you you qualify, and you, you you cut your teeth giving some advice for a bit, and you move up to sort of maybe a director, or, or the end goal is probably partnership, um, and that is is a you know perfectly um, you know great career choice for a lot of people. It's incredibly wa- rewarding,
2: mm-hmm. but I
1: think for me it was always more about the problem solving and the technology and trying to imitate the way that other industries have really taken on um sort of the challenges of a digital world so i always think back to banking and the open banking revolution that we had and Mm -hmm. went through you know you know the monzos the starlings the fact that you can do pretty much all of your banking on your phone now and i was always a bit disappointed how little you could do with law that it still felt very cumbersome very expensive quite slow and it's a frustration that came from both me as a user you know I, I bought a house recently and that was pretty pretty painful you know lots of emails lots of paper documents lots of things that needed to be done in a traditional way um yeah i know versus, that pain
2: recently as well <laughs> yeah
1: but versus say like the mortgage process which was very digital because you know the bank had a digital platform for everything and it, it was pretty seamless and it's quite paid free other than the size of the mortgage which is always scary um <laughs> yeah so it's, it's kind of taking those ideas that i think we we're all alive to but you know really moving the needle forward in law so i started coding um when i was about 30 so i'm 35 now and i just started dipping my toe into it because there were some things i wanted to do at the time that i just didn't have the skill set to be able to put into the world and it was really just small stuff like not not even you know building a whole app or building a whole website it was just learning how to use some of the tools that we'd been given because the legal industry has, you know, some some really fantastic um, tooling and technologies, but it's not yet widely used. I think we're still going through that um, infancy in our revolution. It's is heating up for sure. And, you know, it gets more and more exciting sort of every year. But five years ago, it was still relatively new. Not much had changed. Mm-hmm. And just dipping my toe in and trying to learn JavaScript, it opened up a huge can of worms for me because it's like, Wow, I love this. I can see the creativity, the potential. It tickles my brain in a way that nothing else has before. I feel very like um, very focused and very uh, you know my 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 energy increases the more I do it. It doesn't. It's not something that drains me. And I think if you are lucky enough to find something like that in any profession or vocation, then you know that you can make money doing it without sort of burning out in the same way, or, you know, without sort of resenting it. And I think with law, you know, it's a, it can be a very well paid career. But the more I did of it, the higher up I got, the more responsibility I took on, the more I started to resent it, it made me feel like I was walking into a trap. Whereas with coding and software engineering, and now blending the two, legal engineering, like, it, it really feels like I found my thing. And I know that, There are definitely plenty better software engineers than me. I'm I'm learning and I'm learning really quickly and I get to work with some, you know, brilliant, brilliant developers. Um, but I can see that the skills that I'm picking up are really starting to accelerate now and they're compounding. And I think that the next two to five years are really exciting for my own personal development in this space. So, yeah. So yeah. Probably. So God. Maybe slightly around the round houses talking about this. But hopefully, that's <laughs> no, great. A sense of you know what my frustrations were, and yeah, yeah. Just taking it upon myself, I think, to just live through the pain of learning something as an ad- as a you know older adult
0: mm. on my
1: own to some extent. Although I say on my own, like people often call themselves like self-taught developers, but almost everybody who is self-taught with quotation marks around it. They're really community tool. Like there's a fantastic community on Twitter, you know, you go to Reddit, go to you know, lots of places. There will be people who are willing to help you. And um, sometimes it's a little bit of tough love, like, you know, read the documentation, go and practice this, you know, you, you have to be willing to put yourself through it. Like, and it is very, you know, it's very practical that you can think a lot about code, but the best way to learn code is just to code things, break things, get error messages, be frustrated and eventually you'll stop making those errors and you'll write better and better code so
0: mm. well the reason we sort of um i got in touch jay's because i was we always just looking for different jobs to come on and, and talk about it but from from a personal point of view i've uh, been doing some consulting with a, a small to medium-sized business mm-hmm. and um just going in and, and sorting out workflows and things like that And I started going down the route of like looking at coding and and, uh, developers and and what they do. And it really just opened this world to me that I had no idea existed. And I think there's in loads of different industries, you know, look at insurance, law, uh, finance, there's this whole boom of of tech being implemented into the industries, isn't there?
1: Yeah, 100%, man. Like you've really nailed it. And I think I like the word you use in terms of workplace because almost every process in... Most industries, you know, there is a a beginning and an end to it, and in the middle is usually lots of people filling out spreadsheets, filling out forms, yeah, being pasting things, and and all of that really, you know, you can end to end it that the client or the the user inputs the data or it's captured, it's then perhaps reviewed automatically, or you know, it goes off to fetch some other data from other data sources, whether it's like government data or banking data or something, and then you can start to build up a nice, um, you know. Uh, data layer around it and automation and then on the other end the result comes out and that might be you know the agreement to buy a product or it might be you know taking out um uh, a contract between two parties or something like that but you know all, all industries have that um need to automate their processes so it just so happens that i do that for a law firm because i suppose i'm alive to the, the the different challenges or the different uh legal frameworks that we have to operate within like i understand deeply what we sell mm. and i understand you know the the challenges of the lawyer and the needs of the client so for me to be able to build a workflow i should in theory be a a a good person to do it as opposed to just um a really good software engineer it's not to say that the software engineer can't maybe bring their technical expertise to it but they may have to upskill a little bit on the the you know the, the the nuances around the subject matter, whereas I suppose I approach it from the other end that if I can go and borrow some of their skills and develop them myself and bring that in and and to be honest, we leverage lots and lots of tooling and lots and lots of other you know open source software or, or frameworks or, or things like that, or, or we go and buy some things in, mm-hmm. but knowing how to configure them is usually the hardest part. like I spend a re- you know a reasonable amount of time writing actual code but probably more of my time configuring applications, because there's so many great things that you can leverage. And especially with cloud services, like, you know, I'm always going into our AWS server and, you know, spinning things up or connecting things together. And that in itself is a it's a is a whole nether skill set on top of, you know, engineering or coding
0: Mm. is is it uh, fair to say that i'm i'm very much in the like very early stages of trying to understand this whole developer and software and and coding world but to me it seems like there's now an opportunity for people once they've learned these skills and become a developer to go into so many different industries and create bespoke products for certain companies to work in the way that they want to work is that right to say
1: uh, yeah, I, I I think so. You know, well, no, not I think so. I would 100%, 100% agree with that statement. It, is know, there,
0: are there companies starting to form that are almost like a consultancy where businesses would come to them and say, hey, look, this is what we've got. Can you build us a platform to, to yeah. do what we want? Is is that a thing?
1: Yeah, definitely. Right. So yeah. You know, we, we, you know, two, two, two angles that we have on, that I can share on this Sorry, is that we, we consult and engage with quite a few external developers to build custom things for us or things that we want to to offer the client. So that might be, we have an internal tool that's custom built that is a, it handles all of our client onboarding. So it gives that lovely app-like feel that, you know, they, they come in, they can see the quote for the work, they can go through and do their KYC, you know, anti-money laundering process. They can be onboarded in quite a nice um, you know digital way on their smartphone and for what we needed we did need to go out to the market and get something built because it just didn't exist in the way that we wanted to work um, and that company that we consulted with they build lots of things but not just for law firms they build things for insurance companies or um, or universities or things like that they, they just understand how to build a workflow and make it custom
0: and it's now, almost like the, the world of business consulting and software engineer are kind of coming together in this, in this new space.
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I suppose it's because the entry point for so many things now is through a web browser or an app that if you're a business and you either don't have a website, you can't rely necessarily on the transaction happening through footfall in a shop or through brick and mortar processes. You know, even if you're a travel agent, you're probably going to do it all online. You're not necessarily going to have lots of people coming in these days. And I think that was true even before COVID and the pandemic. It's just that it was so much more convenient for people to do things from the comfort of their home, faster, you know, and the fact that you can automate this process. You know, I don't think it's 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 uh, gonna completely remove people from it, like that we only ever look at browsers and click things. I think there's still plenty of room for good advice and having good soft skills at the end of the day software is made for people and people are the core of all businesses and all transactions so you've still got to be able to talk to a person and look them in the eye or look them in the eye over zoom or something and uh, interact with them at some stage or that might just be internally like my biggest soft you know my soft skills are now used talking to my internal team you know we have a lot of communication internally and that might be through Know, teams generally actually writing chat messages, or it might be hopping on a quick call to speak to one or a longer meeting. And you need to be able to have all those skills, too. So it's not just about the pure technical aspects. Um, but yeah, I think that the consultancy side, the other bit that I wanted to cover is that we as a law firm are now looking at how we can not only sell you know, a document that's well drafted, but we can go in and look at the operation of how that document is integrated into their systems. So let's say, you know, you're a, let's say you're a startup, right. And you're growing really fast and you're looking to onboard, I don't know, a hundred people next year. So we might prepare an employment contract for you, which will be, you know, bespoke and fit your needs and kind of tailored, but you don't necessarily want to spend money on the lawyer, drafting a hundred of the documents. You may want to, automate that process or let you know your, your your hiring manager have a nice way to roll those out as part of your onboarding process so we can either look at what you're doing already and drop it into that or we can build something for you or tell you how to design it so you can have that nice end-to-end workflow when you're onboarding people and i actually think that that is such a such a such a different way of dealing with a lawyer that you don't just call them up have a meeting, get a document, and then you're on your own. We can be with you through that journey. And I think the value and the way that we bill and charge can then start to make more sense from the client's perspective. I think there's a little bit of resistance that lawyers are too slow and too expensive. But I think if we can get this right, then we'll fully justify existence in the modern world.
0: So.
2: Were you um, obviously discovering that... Uh this coding and creating software to aid you in this legal world once you realize that how was that uh, implemented into where you work was your company quite open to be able to say yeah here you go we want to give you the resources to develop this or was your company already sort of going down um, going down that path
1: yeah so I'm actually reasonably new to the company although I've been a big fan of theirs for a couple of years because I could see the growth they had and And where they were going, and I sort of knew a few of the lawyers that worked there, and my now boss, um, who works there, and and we—I suppose—been talking around legal tech issues for a while before I actually joined them. And the best thing that I did was I started to learn in public, and there's a few a few people that. Kind of promote this idea that it is my idea. I sort of stole it from somebody else because it was kind of one of these hashtags on Twitter, like hashtag learning public, or if you're on LinkedIn, another great place to do things. That I would start to just share some of the things I was doing in my spare time um, around it. So the firm, some of the firms I worked at before were not necessarily, um, it's not they were anti innovation, far from it, but when you're employed to do a job that brings the firm in money and that's how you're compensated. It can sometimes be quite challenging to get, to change your job description on, you know, uh, in, internally that really I had to go outside of like my working hours and spend kind of evenings and weekends, learning this stuff and demonstrating what could be done with it. Um, partly to get some buy-in from the people I was working with at the time, but also to push myself to see what could actually be done with it. So I started making a few YouTube videos um, started writing some blog posts. I wrote an article that was about why I think lawyers should learn how to code, um, which was very um, divisive, actually. But it got me a lot of attention. And then all of a sudden I started to build a little bit of a profile and a brand as to somebody very interested in this space. Who's got some skills, but is, you know, looking to really push. This is the next stage of my career and you know the the ties in i actually ended up i i I founded a startup too which has a legal tech product um around it i don't actually build any of that myself because it's um it's an enterprise product with a lot of bank level security around it and for that i needed developers to come in it just wasn't something i was capable of doing on my own
0: but that's such a great idea you've you've had this idea and now you understand the world enough to be able to go and get the right people to build it that's right
1: exactly yeah and you know it's that for me is another reason why learning to code even just a little bit will make you aware of what's possible how you might engage with the right people to take ideas forward because almost there's there's almost you know nothing's really built well there are very few examples of things that are built by solo founders In their bedrooms, in their spare time, that really take off. Now, not to say there aren't some fantastic indie developers or indie hackers or bootstrappers that do those sorts of things, but they are rarer. Like if you're going to build software or you're going to build a product, you typically need to work with a team. And you often see the the duo of a founder and a co founder. And typically, to even find the time to build something well, you might need to go all in on that and sacrifice a job for a bit, raise some money. You know, it's not easy to do these things, but the little bits that I picked up along the way, the, the you know, the, the three or four years of hacking away my bedroom at stuff introduced me to lots of different people. It allowed me to build some small concepts out, like very small proof of concepts or make a website or a landing page for something, to, you know, design some things and show people that I understood the problem. And that I could see the solution and that if they wanted to come along for the ride, we could do it together. And that was enough to find and launch a product and also to get me a job and get me my dream job. And it's quite, I feel very um, like vindicated because it was a little bit lonely and a little bit frustrating sometimes mm. that I was desperate to get into that world. And I just needed somebody to see the, the you know, I had at least some technical ability, but that I was deeply, deeply interested in the subject in a way that, you know, perhaps I wasn't always that interested in law for law's sake. So
0: I I think this is, this is such a good conversation because it's, it's a, you can apply what we're talking about to literally any industry, anyone that's (laughs) listening, the, the, the industries are going to start to go through these kind of changes and software developers are going to come in and Work on workflows like we've chatted about. So, how did you start learning code? If for anyone yeah. listening that wants to think, okay, I, I'm going to get involved in this.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I can definitely talk about that a lot. And you know, I'm I, I'm I'm really keen to sort of show people the path I took and l- at least get them started. But let them, you know, find the community. Like, if you can find the community in, might be in your subset or niche, like. Might be for me, it's like there's a legal hackers community, and being part of that has been really beneficial to you know people giving me encouragement or giving me tips about where to go to find the information. But I started off um, on Free Code Camp, which is a fantastic free platform that's available globally. That at this point teaches millions of people how to code. And the great thing about it is that you can actually. It's not just reading or watching videos. They have all of that. They've got lots of guides and tutorials, but they they have a platform where you can write code in the browser, run some tests and get a result back. And through it, it's like an interactive tutorial. So it's a very different way of learning compared to learning in a classroom where you might watch somebody and then maybe do some exercises in a book at home. It's live on the fly, immediately, you know, returns, a, you know, did you get this question right or are you writing the code correctly? And that's one of the other things just about coding generally is that it's sort of instant feedback. Do you, you, know, do you have a bug? Have you made an error? You need to correct this. Um, and yeah, Free Code Camp is, you know, I, I owe so much to them. You know, I don't donate to that cause, you know, just a few pounds a month because, um, I you know, I really believe in it. And I think that without it, I would never have been able to get as far as I did. Um, but then going beyond that, I freeCodeCamp has increased its syllabus, so it started off with mainly JavaScript, CSS, and HTML, which are languages um, to 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 build websites with. But now they're doing much more in terms of data science with Python, and I think they're just going to keep increasing their curriculum. But once I'd got through some of the JavaScript stuff on freeCodeCamp, I really wanted to learn Python because I know that Python is particularly good for lawyers to learn because it's um, good for dealing with data. You can write Word documents quite easily with it. You can do some manipulation with Excel. And I went to Code Academy to learn the, just some fundamentals of Python. And then from that, learning Python then allowed me to play around with an open source tool called DocAssemble, which is a document automation platform. Now, when I say open source, um, if people aren't familiar with that it's essentially free software that you can use um without having to pay for it providing you can set it up and configure it so i managed to get some free amazon credits through um a partner network so i'll, I'll drop the i'll give you a link for that because it's quite quite useful for people who are interested in how can you keep the cost down and keep the risk low for yeah that'd be great Thank these you. things um, but basically, I've got like, I don't know, 10 grand's worth of AWS credits, So I know that for a couple of years, I'm good. I won't have to you know, pay anything to set this up. But using open source software, if you can install it and run it on a server in the cloud, you then have your own platform that you can play with. And just doing that and that process in itself taught me a lot about um, DevOps and how to get something into the world that is of real value. taught me a little bit about security as well. And how you make things secure on the internet. So all these steps, sort of one thing led to another, and now I'm just building up layers and layers of knowledge. So, yeah, free co I think everybody should just start there. Mm. Um, there are some great computer science courses for free given by like Harvard. Um, there's other places too, but online learning. There's you know it's booming right now because of everybody being at home and universities not necessarily delivering the highest value anymore, but I think it's called edX is, is one platform that Harvard seemed to be tied into. So they have lots of computer science courses available for free. If you, if you pay, then you can get a certificate of completion, but you don't have to pay. You can still just do it and experience it, which for me it's, you know, you know, paying for it is, is great, but actually just going through the process, like why not go through it and see if you like it, see if you get, see if you can understand it before you commit mm-hmm. your money. And doing that, they have a, a, a computer science course for lawyers, which, which I took over the summer and is great. And it really kind of added to some of the things that I'm able to understand. And there's a little bit about cryptography as well, which helps me. We do some blockchain work We're, uh, at the firm I'm at now. And that's been really helpful to really understand sort of the concepts behind it
0: is there something that somebody should start with like a specific coding language they should look at first? Is there a more basic one or do you need to learn different bits of different languages? How does it really work?
1: Yeah, I think everybody should learn JavaScript in some form, partly because you can open up your browser and write JavaScript in the console. So if you were to open up zoom, uh, sorry, open up Chrome or Safari, I'm just looking at Zoom, that's why I sent it. <laughs> if you open up Chrome or Safari and go to the developer tab or click inspect element, it will fire up, you know, the, the tray on the right-hand side of the browser and then you can click through to the console. That console will probably give you some messages about what's going on in the page or if an error has been thrown. It's surprising how many errors are thrown just through your normal day-to-day life anyway. But if you then wanted to write some code in the browser, you, you can write JavaScript right there, you can manipulate what's on the screen right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, you can just, you can see the, you know, the page come alive even more so than it might already be doing. And well, you know, that when I sort of mess around at work with people, they're always like amazed with what you can just do doing that. And then JavaScript is also a backend language. You can, you can, do front-end things in a you know that's displayed in the browser, but you can also do all the back-end business logic in JavaScript. So it's a pretty safe bet as to how you could be productive. Um, but I think the main thing it doesn't really matter too much what language you pick. So if you decided that you wanted to pick Python, for example, or perhaps you wanted to pick PHP or, or or something else, it's just about learning one language well enough to be able to do something with it. Because once you can be productive in one language, picking up other languages is much easier, because they generally share similar concepts. It's just the syntax or just the, the way that you know a variable is described. So give you a very, very easy, very quick example. When you write um, a var- variable in JavaScript, you, you know let's, let's say we wanted to describe someone's name, you would write "let let and mm-hmm. a new word, "name," and then equals." say daniel so that's how you would set the variable for daniel mm-hmm. but in python you don't need the let you can just write name equals daniel and it's just understanding like different things like that like how does the language require you to set something okay and for those people who do know a bit of javascript the other version of let um is const so const is like a constant it's typically a variable that doesn't change um so that might be i don't know um, you're you're a address or something i suppose const could be used for a name because your name won't change necessarily mm. uh but yeah so it's it's really just kind of getting into the syntastic differences once you've picked up one so i actually write javascript python and php at work and i'm quite happy working through just kind of flick a different hat on being like okay i'm writing javascript right now that's this is how i do things this mm. is the notation this is the way it works but then okay spit that away, close that tab down. Now I'm going to write some Python to do some backend logic and then just being in that mode. And the great thing about tooling around writing code is that your text editor comes with so many things to help you stay on track. So we have something called syntax highlighting. So if you've ever looked at a code screen or um, anything in sort of recent years, you'll notice mm. that it's really colorful. Like the screen might be dark behind it, but, the code on top of it is colored. And that syntax highlighting helps you know that you're writing syntactically correct code. Okay. Um, so it's not there just, just to look good. It <laughs> serves a purpose. But there are other, you know, most text editors where you write your code have um, plugins that you can add things in for particular languages to help you be even more productive. And I think for me, that again, is one of the reasons why learning to code a little bit makes you rethink about how you do everything Mm -hmm. so i'm always thinking about okay if i'm gonna draft a document for work let's make sure the next time i draft it i don't have to do nearly as much work so it might be like saving down a new version of it it might be writing comments through it it might be automating part of the process because developers have fantastic tooling around what they do they're able to produce things quickly because they're looking at their own process to be as efficient as possible.
2: Mm.
1: And I think that's something that everybody can learn from. So
2: what yeah. would be uh, an average day for you um, currently? I know obviously you're probably working from home, but how yeah. how how does a day work for you?
1: Yeah, that's it's great. And today was a pretty, pretty busy, intense day um, and a really, really good example of the things I love to do and the kind of technical things that I get involved in. So we are building a really awesome platform at work to um, help startups access legal services in a more cost-effective way. Um Probably can't say too much more about it because yeah,
0: yeah, no it's
1: still in beta and we haven't done our big release, Um, but that is coming really soon. And I think it's going to be quite game-changing. And I can see from how it's been designed and built that they've really poured the hearts and souls into this into into this and we've again working with a really great external developer who has to some extent taken me under his wing so there are things that he he will do um partly because you know it's his code base and he knows it inside out but there are other things where particularly on the front end he'll let me get involved and i've you know pushed myself and learned a lot more in that case so when i say the front end you know i might be building out um, the way something is displayed on the web on the web page, making making sure the blog looks good, um, adding in some you know functionality to be able to find related content or to um, you know navigate around the site. So one of the things that we're adding into it is a way to book a meeting with one of our lawyers. So for me, that is actually not a huge amount of coding because we're going to use Canonly, which is, a, which is a plugin for that, so they can see and open up. Uh, a lawyer's calendar and know that they can get a meeting with them without having to sort of go back and forth checking times it'll just be quite mm. a slick process and that's a great example of when there isn't really a need to code something you can just use software and plug it in because there's
0: there's like a whole other world of is it do they call it software as a service and there's just oh yeah thousands yeah. and yeah thousands so yeah of software as
1: a service is 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 the thing and the the way that works as well is because most most modern companies will have what's called an API so it's called an application programming interface okay but all an API does is allows two programs or more to talk to each other so the fact that I can plug Canonly into the app that we've built is because Canonly has a great API And you can send a request to it and it can do some of the the functionality that you could do through a browser through that. And actually, you know, with with Canonly, we're probably going to open up some links. But I know that functionality is there if you pay for like the premium Mm. version of it. Um, But it's if you take Canonly itself, um, if you've ever used it before, you know, it's a way to schedule meetings. But you can also tell your Canonly that, hey, I'm using Zoom. This is my Zoom account. If someone books it, tell my Zoom account to host the meeting. That's all happening because of Zoom's API and Canonly's API being able to talk to each other. And that is the reason why software is so much more collaborative and that people build smaller services that can be plugged into other things as opposed to being one platform for all things which is maybe what software in the past used to be, you know, a little bit clunky, a little bit, uh, you know, trying to do be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Whereas now there's definitely a different approach um, with that model that if they can do one thing really well and let it st- connect and collaborate with other things that do their thing really well, then there's a way to grow your business and get market share in different ways. So I think I think I think it's really refreshing. And I'm I'm really glad that we're sort of living through this time where we get to enjoy
0: that. I cause I was um uh for the, the company I'm doing some consulting for, I was looking at their workflows and um I found a thing called zapier I don't know if yeah. you've ever heard of it. And it basically yeah. just connects yeah. different softwares um, to your business, so you can make your yeah. workflow a bit easier. Um, but yeah. that's obviously my very, very limited understanding of um, of software as a service. No,
1: and Zapier is is such a amazing tool. It's it's one of those companies as well that has quietly become like a multi billion dollar company because of the value that adds. A pretty low cost point for most things. Mm. You can use a lot of Zapier's features for free, which I think is great. It's kind of a, I suppose maybe a, I think maybe call it like a freemium model that you mm. get. Free use up to a point, but if you're if you're making thousands of transactions through it, you're probably getting quite a lot of value. And at that point, you know they require you to pay. But it's still pretty modest when you really think about what it would have cost to develop something um, bespoke and to have that nice interface. Like I think it's a great tool. And you know, if even if people didn't want to go down the route of learning. Software engineering is as a you know as a core discipline. Learning how to automate and connect things with Zapier is immensely valuable, and Mm -hmm. you can pit things together really quickly. Like I typically use Zapier whenever I build a website for like you know friend. I did a little bit of freelancing as well, but it's not really my focus. But if you have a contact form on on your uh, on your website and you want to make sure it's secure, typically. You can have that form hit a serverless function, which then plugs into Zapier and sends you an email or something like that. Mm. You don't necessarily need to build out um, a a whole server backend for your website just to receive form requests. So I use it when I build like very lightweight websites and it's, it's great because typically most people aren't getting that much traffic and they can get to use Zapier for free. Mm. Um, But if you've got any other tools that you use at work or in your personal life, like things like Trello and Gmail and, you know, other calendar functions, Zapier almost will probably have some sort of integration that you can get things to happen. So think of Zapier kind of like a, I think there actually is another platform called if this, then that, but they do similar things that you can create triggers. So if something happens, like you receive an email or email contains something, then you can get Zapier to fire off another function to mm. like save it down when you start to see the possibility that you can build up solutions for things and that really is engineering like you know i think that engineering process of looking at a a workflow seeing how it is at the moment and then seeing how it can be improved um and then just picking the right tool for it and if zappy is the right tool then you know there's there's no reason to reinvent the wheel.
2: yeah absolutely i i, I think there's nothing more satisfying than when you get either even if it's an excel bit of code and you get that working properly and you know you've done a good job <laughs> on it it's like it's yeah. just one of the best feelings ever no matter what oh,
0: totally, totally. Yeah.
2: so what would be some personality traits that you've seen yourself that you think have helped you get here you have obviously got a very diverse mind in the fact that you've gone down one route and thought, well, you know this is, this is a brilliant opportunity here i being able to sell and self-teach self-teach uh, yourself yeah. yeah. self like, uh, taught um <laughs> yourself uh coding and software engineering um so yeah what would be some personal traits so that you've just seen yourself that yeah. have helped get you here i guess
1: you know i th- i think it's probably being curious i think curiosity is maybe like a quite maybe something that i didn't you know value as as much as i did i always kind of always really been interested in science and math and physics but never really i didn't do brilliantly in those subjects at school and i maybe found them a little bit dry at school but once you get out into the world and oh my god youtube like i'm forever watching you know for my own curiosity things about quantum physics or stuff like that and yeah, the curiosity you, you find I...
0: yourself down a down a rabbit hole don't you and three hours have gone by and you're oh, definitely at... oh, definitely oh god.
1: And I think that that same curiosity with, hmm, wonder how this works or like, could you do that? Like, how is that possible to make this happen? And I think taking that curiosity and kind of intersecting it with what I actually do, like uh, there's this concept in Japanese culture, which I've talked about um, w- w- with some other people as well. Isn't You know, it's not my concept. It's It's something that's, you know, well ingrained in Japanese culture and, and to some extent in other self personal development movements, but it's called Ikigai. And it's, if you can imagine four, four, four sections, like it's what the world needs, what you can be paid for, what you love to do. And there's one other which I can't remember. <laughs> look it up. Um, And basically at the intersection of all those things is what they call your Ikigai. And for me, that really was like coding in in law.
2: What you're good like, at.
1: Yeah, what are you get at. Yeah, exactly. And when I when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, this is why this feels right. This is why like I'm supposed to be here. Is to is to do this bit, is to bring mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm such a fanboy for like superstar developers. I know I'll get there. I'm not. There right now, but I know how far I've come that the distance between where I started and where I'm now is, 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 is probably, is, is, it gets small. I can see the, the goal. And to some extent, like learning the stuff, it's like a never ending journey because things, things change. Like new paradigms come in, like there's new languages or frameworks to use on top of things, like new ways to deploy stuff. So you kind of always have to keep learning. And I think that's why it feels, you sort of submit yourself to it, you know that there isn't ever going to be an end. So you can really just enjoy that journey, knowing that you're going to get better and better and more experienced and more experienced and more valuable.
0: And I think you that, hit the the nail on their head there when you said you, you're inquisitive. And yeah. The the people that we've had on, on the podcast that are successful and have done well and, and worked in multiple things as well. Like you have, have all been inquisitive. They've just ask the questions and then try to answer them themselves
1: yeah uh, d- definitely and th- th- there is an element of i think you know not necessarily settling it- it's quite i could have not bothered doing any of this and would have you know i was being paid just fine that uh, you know as, as a lawyer you, you get paid pretty well and there's a nice progression if you stick it out and you can you know work hard for sure like it's not it's not you can't just coast and expect to get promotions you need to put the effort in but that I think it was just not settling for it and understanding that okay if I'm gonna if I'm gonna work you know and have a career and I'm gonna be involved in business and industry can I find a way to do the thing that I really love to do and do the thing that I think is more valuable than just being a lawyer and I don't mean to be disingenuous to other people like if you if your thing is law then that's great Mm. it just wasn't my thing and when I I suppose turning 30 you know it seems young you know which I was still 30 geez but but turning turning 30 I think you you kind of see that okay maybe you know the next 30 years if you play cards you know you retire when you're 60 or 65 it probably isn't necessarily going to be the case and to be honest I'm not that bothered about retirement from something I'm interested in no (laughs) but but knowing that okay you know I'm an adult I've got responsibilities I've got a young family now as well that if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take time away from them to make money let's see if I can do it with something that I really love to do and not not trade off being able to support them and being able to you know provide and have some sort of dignity in life and yeah it was it was a case of just being a little bit a little bit curious and very determined I can't tell you how many times that I would stay up and actually been reading a whole book about sleep and kind of realizing why this was a bad idea (laughs) was was to just stay up until I would pass out basically just trying to learn how to code and in hindsight probably stifled my learning a bit and the ability to retain information um but but i think making the time is very easy just to okay i've finished work i was gonna sit and watch netflix and do that and it's not to say that you know i i obsess about marvel stuff so i watched all of wandavision didn't miss an episode (laughs) so i'm not saying that people who watch tv are you know any worse because you know I, i the things i'm interested in i will sit and binge just like anybody else
0: are you watching the snyder cut tomorrow Ah uh, yeah,
1: I will be man. I, I, was, <laughs> I was so disappointed with the first one. Oh same. That, that yeah, I'm really excited to see this. The hype looks good too. It does. But, yeah, I think it was it was knowing that okay, I'll always have that. And these days, I you know, there's almost too much TV. You can you spoil it for choice. Oh, yeah. Knowing, knowing that five years is a really short period of time in life, and you can learn a heck of a lot in five years around anything, like. I think back to my degree and I still re- remember like most points around economics I still think about economics a lot I s- see what's happening in the world right now and I'm like hey, yeah I understand that and I can have some insight and think back to charts and graphs and theories and to some extent still talk around it and that was mm. three years and a lot of people define their whole adult life on the three years they spent at uni
0: yeah it's,
1: it's a real thing and kind of kind of you know, it, we're privileged in this country that most people can access universities and it's a, we've got great universities like w- all the way from, you know, Oxbridge to, to all technical colleges to Redbricks. Like there's lots of great courses out there, but I think that people put too much emphasis on the degree they did and where they did it because Absolutely. it really is just three years of your life. Yeah. Like I look back and if anybody's interested, I got a tutu in economics and I got a tutu in when everybody was like you need a T1, otherwise you're a failure in life <laughs> and I was pretty upset about not getting a T1. I missed it by a tiny margin I f- completely failed one of my math exams like I mean I didn't write anything in the exam because oh. I, I had like a complete meltdown about it and I probably if I just passed it I would have got I would have got my T1, mm-hmm. and I had an option to go back and repeat the year or repeat that module and I was like do you know what I've had enough like three years I'm ready to go out and just I want a job. Like I'm tired of being a brick student. I want a job. And <laughs> I just went for it and I was like, well, let's see what I can go get with a TT. Turns out it was enough to get me into a decent law firm. I think they could kind of see that, you know, I wasn't stupid. Mm. and that Maybe I was not very organized or perhaps didn't study well enough. You know, <laughs> my, my uni days were <sighs> caught up working in a bar, chasing girls, doing all the things. I did meet my wife there and we're still married to this day, 15 years later. So Wow. Um, it's a pretty good story on that but the idea that those those three years don't define who i am now like not in the same way they maybe taught me that if you get complacent then you might not get the outcome you want but that it goes quickly three years is not a long time and that if you're willing to be dedicated to something then you can achieve a really good thing so
2: I totally agree with you. I I can relate to you on those a few sentences so closely. I think I missed out on my two on by 0.3 of a percent. (laughs) Crazy. But funny enough, I did engineering at university and after my undergraduate, I didn't know what to do, but actually met a girl at university, stayed on to do my master's degree. And it wasn't actually until towards the end of my master's degree and actually starting working in industry that I actually love. That's when I actually decided I actually love engineering. Yeah. It wasn't until my undergraduate sort of just flew by and I, I was just there to do it. And it was after that, that I actually thought, you know, this is, this is my passion. This is where I want to be. Um, and I, now where I am looking back, the two, two didn't matter. And it's now where I'm in the industry and I'm putting my passion into what I love that it makes such a big difference and it's almost like they're just little stepping stones to get to where you are now.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And no one asked me about my degree. I don't think I've even had to give my degree certificate to anybody for like the last th- three jobs I had, I suppose, you know, qualifying as a lawyer is the thing that they cared about most. And actually with this job, like the, my, my latest job, um, they, they didn't really care about anything. They just needed to know that I could do the things and that I, I could, I could actually demonstrate that like, they'd watch some of my videos they've read my articles they would seen some of the code i've written we we they,
0: talk about this yeah. all the time on here because you you're a great example you've demonstrated stuff so you've got your own almost your own content and you've yeah. re, you've written articles you've made videos this is the future of cvs if you like it's not going to yeah. be handing a piece of paper but it's this are these are my skills i've demonstrated it in xyz format um and you'll almost be approached maybe in the future. You know, well, we know that guy or that girl or whatever. Let's go and talk to them.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, and I, I still now, like the particular legal engineering and, and legal tech, it's growing really fast and there just aren't enough people that do it. So I get reasonable approaches, like, pretty much at least once a fortnight. Like, I'm not not looking and not interested at all right now because I've found my home. Once a um, fortnight? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and wow. LinkedIn is LinkedIn is great. Like, if you if you yeah. build your brand, and you don't need to be an influencer. Like, I am not an influencer by any no, stretch. yeah, as.
0: that's a good have, point. Yeah, that's I good. have
1: really small followings on. You know, I think I have got like two thousand connections on LinkedIn, a thousand Twitter followers, which are most like friends and family and random people. Like, n- I'm not an influencer, but that being said, I have definitely seen the benefits of being consistent about what I talk about on LinkedIn in particular. And sharing like insight and articles and thoughts, like is a completely legit way to to connect with the right audience and connect with people who are going to be interested in the skill set you have. Like if if you just are willing to share a little bit and keep it on point, like you won't find me talking about I don't know cooking or <laughs> sort of like, you know or art or something. Not that I'm not interested in those things, like in my non-professional life but that isn't what i want to be paid for it's not what i'm good at you know all those things four circles like being being on brand to whatever your brand is is so valuable now and if someone then spends any time with me like in a dm or if they jump on a zoom call or if we meet up for coffee in real person they'll see that i am that same person with those same interests and it just allows you to someone will not only give you the benefit of the doubt but they can see see what you're about they can mm-hmm. see what your interests are and see how you they might be able to add value to you or or bring those skills to whatever project they're working on so yeah i can't i, I it's honestly it blows my mind like how many things have come out of linkedin <laughs> of all places and people kind of talk it down a little bit because it can be a bit spammy and it mm. and it can be a bit nauseating with everybody like virtue signaling and crapping us all the back and I'm yeah. I'm I'm very I think I'm really trying to be self-aware about that that I know that people who know me and know maybe know me as a lawyer we're like why is this guy constantly talking about coding and legal tech and kind of like evangelizing those things and I have to kind of probably all in my head a little bit but swallow 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 the negativity and try not to think about it and being like actually i am coming at this with good intentions i am trying to like Mm. expose other people who may be interested in what i'm doing like i'm really trying to sell anything like Mm. you know if if people want to come and engage with me they'll find me it's fine but i want people to know exactly what i do like warts and all like
0: yeah definitely
1: but, but the discipline of it, because it is so new. And I think that there is a whole load of people who are like trying to find a training contract. Maybe they did law at uni and they're like, Oh, I kind of get it. But I don't know if I want to, you know, work as a lawyer my whole life. And it might be, you know, maybe they want to be in the industry, but in a different way. And I think it's just kind of exposing that to people being like, yeah, actually there's loads of diverse roles now, like in law and, you know, you, you don't always have to just go and work for a, a big London firm or go and work for Facebook. Those aren't the only two like mm. things to aspire to. There's a ton of really cool stuff.
0: On, in between. on, on that point, actually, as well, um, working in the law and the, the almost the software development combination for mm. you. What are the two biggest positives of the role you're doing currently? So I think,
1: I think for me, it's it's. I see the direction travel with this, but I feel very, very secure um from a job perspective now that I know that I could walk into lots of different places and add a lot of value in a way that wasn't just oh well we need another lawyer because we're a bit busy. It's like I could redesign a process, I could save costs, I can help deliver deliver things like digitally to thousands of people as opposed to just you know being limited by the number of staff you have like I think it's 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 that comfort that comes with the skills that I'm acquiring and the things that I'm able to do now are really more future-proof and kind of in 10 years time like I I feel you know I I know that I'll be even more in demand than I am now and I think it's that sense of self-satisfaction that I, I get up every day And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's going to be like, it's pretty, pretty fast paced for work. I'm not going to lie. Like we have a lot on and it's intense, but it's the kind of intensity that feels very rewarding. Um, and getting up and knowing that I get to work on the things I'm interested in with great people at a good pace is, is pretty satisfying, but yeah, it also gave me the skills and knowledge to be entrepreneurial like I've not never ran a business before I've always wanted to but I never really knew what it would be you know I didn't have experience in other things that were you know even setting up my own law firm what have been too much of a challenge because of the the regulations and things of like that and it doesn't necessarily scale as well as a SaaS business like you mentioned SaaS products like the product that we've built is very much a SaaS product um, like software as a service so people would pay like pay-as-you-go or pay a monthly subscription to use it and that kind of business model going back to my economics so I guess it all does kind of come full circle together I know that that business is one that can scale in a way that doesn't require thousands of employees for it to significantly change my life my income if we do it right like it's still hard like the challenge is building a really good product and doing some really good engineering around it and then doing really good marketing like you could have the best product in the world but if people don't know about it then they won't use it and you won't necessarily can't just rely on word of mouth these days you know you need to have a strategy and that's kind of what we're working on now is like how do we take this really cool thing that we've built and get it into people to use it to get them to love it and to You know, grow it, like actually really scale it up. So that's a whole new thing that I'm learning about now as a founder. But I would never have done this if I hadn't taken a step to learn to code. Like, there are plenty of people who would tell me that I'm maybe too idealistic or that lawyers don't really need to code. But I guess my whole point was I didn't want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be (laughs) an entrepreneur. I wanted to be more of a software engineer and now a legal engineer. Like, Uh, you know I'll meet plenty plenty of developers who are are, you know much much better developers than I am like right now but it's it's because I can learn and I've proven to myself that I can teach myself or use a community to learn how to do things that it's just kind of a matter of time and just getting more and more experience in my belt before I can do more and more complex things and that you shouldn't necessarily be put off. Like one of my mentors, he is American and I call him a mentor, like in the loosest sense. We've never had like a formal acknowledgement of it. But the time that we've spent just chatting on LinkedIn and in Twit on Twitter, he's mentored me because he's told me steps to take. And that's what I that's all that's, you know, for me the definition, like giving me, setting out the path and kind of guiding me through it. And he was a former like Attorney in America, and now he works for Amazon, not doing any law whatsoever, just pure software engineering. But he's he's also older than me and made this career change at a later stage in his life. But just a really bright guy who knew that his next step wasn't in that. And I think it's okay to let go of a career. Like you don't have to do one thing your whole life. Like the things you know, the people I've met, the soft skills I've had. The 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 challenges I've seen of, like, how you make money selling a service, like, it's all relevant. So I don't I don't begrudge it, and I don't regret it. And it's okay for me to put that behind me, like, completely okay. I had my career as a lawyer. It was good to me. And now it's
2: next, next thing. It's just the natural progression. For yeah. for you, what would be a, a negative of this industry? Um, obviously, it's a fast-growing and new industry.
1: Yeah, I suppose, you know... <laughs> maybe, maybe not negatives, but just challenges to overcome that. I think that, you know, diversity and inclusion are always big ones. Like, you know, you you guys can't see me right now, but for anybody who's listening, um, you know, I'm I'm mixed race. My mother's Jamaican. My dad is, uh, is white. And there just aren't a ton of people that, that have the same background as me in law or to some extent in technology in, in the same way. And I think it's not necessarily, you know, it's obviously not to do with ability, but I think it's just to do with exposure. So if you expose people to things, then they're more likely to try them out and yes. see if they have got any aptitude. And that's, a great that's, 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 that's all you, that's all you need to do really. Like I just, you know, for me, I just needed to see that I could, I could get going with this. Like I didn't have to go into a ton of debt to try and figure this stuff out. And that I was welcomed. So, there's some really great initiatives like one that's i think i think is international but certainly national is called codebar and it was a a meetup for underrepresented people in tech and coding so lots of you know ethnic minorities and and, and women as well because women are underrepresented in this industry and um it's it was it was pretty pretty awesome to just sit in a room and be be mentored I, I kind of, I, I feel two ways about positive discrimination and, and things like that. Like, I I guess while I might be mixed race, I, I have a pretty privileged background. You know, my mum be, being Jamaican was a pretty senior accountant at her company. You know, we had a very sort of middle-class upbringing. You know, it wasn't wasn't hard, like in the same way that lots of people have economic hardship. So mm-hmm. I kind of, I feel that, positive discrimination is maybe not best aimed at me because I already had a good good head start on a lot of things and I think I need to recognize that but I still remember very keenly that I was always only the other not what non-white person in almost every law firm I worked at Mm -hmm. you know and it didn't bother me but I always did find it like a little bit "Mm, okay I'm still it's 10 years later like I've been in this industry for 10 years I'm still yet to meet many other people that look like me. I do meet have you know have met plenty and probably in London it's probably better. But I think those are the challenges. And you know it's it's not necessarily um the most insightful or or you know maybe different thing. I think maybe it's still we've got a long way to go and it's still something that needs to be addressed. But yeah, I think that that's something that I hope that Legal engineering, because it's so new and it's fast, high demand that there'll be a space to kind of do things right from the outset and not put up the barriers. Like at the moment, in terms of like cost for formal qualifications, that doesn't really exist. And I'm hoping that it kind of stays that way. And that's one of the things I think software engineering does well, that you don't necessarily have to have a computer science degree or degree to get going in this or to be well respected you just gotta be able to do the work and yeah. that makes it more like a meritocracy and meritocracy is a good for diversity because it means if you've got the goods in theory you can do it now you've still got hiring biases and you know um you know biased uh, or, or 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 people who gatekeep around stuff you know if you didn't go to the right school still all those things still exist but i think it's 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 In a meritocracy in a discipline like that that doesn't require you to have spent now 30 grand on a degree to do it, then that hopefully should lead to more people from different backgrounds doing it. And there's a reason to advocate for that as well, because like diverse diversity of thought is a really important thing. And then if you get into things like AI and machine learning, it's really, really important to have diversity of thought around that because people's unconscious bias or explicit bias get built into software. So it's 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 yeah it's that's 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 the thing and I suppose the other part is yeah and I suppose the other like challenge I guess is just I'm really this 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 sort of technical challenge I've got in my head that I want to be part of the solution for and I need to probably write some things down I'm co-authoring a article with somebody from the states which we're hoping to get published in like a university journal and i say this very loosely, we've talked around it and have decided we're going to do it we haven't actually done very much <laughs> so yeah but we did have quite a long discussion about this concept and it's really moving away from the idea that the end product of most legal things is a document right in word or a pdf that is signed mm-hmm. by somebody and it's yep. it's kind of ridiculous Because you think about what you do on Netflix or Facebook and all the data that they collect on you, none of it is written down. No one's printing that stuff out anywhere. It just exists as data in a data structure. And it's to take legal agreements and legal, um, you know, contract, legal agreements, legal contracts, and just keep them in a digitized form that can be, you know, executed digitally, passed around digitally, stored digitally. This is big idea about how you manage the life cycle of a contract so from its creation to its execution to its storage to the things and parameters that are set in it like expiration dates or conditions that need to be met all of those things are written down in in words, and words are great if you then pay a lawyer to tell you what does it mean and what do, what are the risks and when do I need to review this contract but computers could do that better if it was just. Capt in code and really I mean data I don't mean like you know code that um, you know that it's like a scripting language and there the intersection between sort of law technology leads me to look at things like blockchain and smart contracts, which is still very relatively new technology, which comes with a ton of skepticism and hype and good actors (laughs) and bad actors. I don't necessarily want to talk about blockchain. I'm giving a webinar or hosting a webinar tomorrow on blockchain. Um, But there is something that's changing. There is people realizing that there is now the, the, all the technology exists for this. It's just, how do you standardize it across different legal jurisdictions? Like how would you take a contract in the UK and make sure the UK lawyers can pass it around each other? Mm. How do you make sure that, you know, every firm can access it in this, in, in like the same data structure. And that's actually where looking at how things like Zapier work, right? Cause Zapier can plug into everything because there yes. are standards, right? There are yeah. standards in those APIs in the way data is sent around that you can have tools that link them together. And we need similar standards, concepts and tooling in law to move that contract around. And I know that there are people working on this and, um, that uh, you know, a, a, I guess, like government level, I suppose, or say government, like like things like the Law Society or in Canada, there's another organization that, that is looking at how they could do that and that is a really exciting time to be working on these things so yeah so i think that's that's like a technical challenge not necessarily one that's about humans or personnel so
0: that sounds interesting so yeah. at this point we usually talk about um what people could expect to sort of make within the industry salary wise so we go away and we just look for some data yeah yeah sure. we just ask you sort of um, if it sounds right to you Um, so the average for sort of a software engineer um, is between 25 and fifty thousand pounds a year obviously this can go a lot higher and i'm sure as we've kind of led on to um, within the different industries it will uh, there'll be different salaries for software engineers within the different industries is that fair yeah
1: i think that's that's completely fair like um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely like within the, within the realms. I think the only things to that I would add to that is there's probably like a waiting towards um, to to London that it can go like a, a little mm. bit higher, and certainly if you went globally and were to work for some of the larger um, larger organisations, you could you could easily double that, you know, double even double that top end, and I think it's 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 clearly a well-paid industry like both law and software software engineering once you qualify or once you're doing real things yeah yeah yeah. they're well paid like you know maybe things like finance or insurance might pay comparably or slightly better Mm -hmm. but it's a good bet to make if you're gonna if you're gonna have a job it's a it's definitely a good bet
0: and i i guess from us The last kind of thing we'd want to talk about is: Would you still go into this and do the things you've done now if you could uh, go back and do it?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think I I think this is this was the thing that I was, you know, I'm gonna get too like philosophical about it, but (laughs) yeah, this is this is the thing that I'm I'm supposed to do. This is where I need to be. So,
0: very cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come and chat with us, Jay. With we've both really really enjoyed it, and it's uh, it's been super interesting.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it.